Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyYeti.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyYeti.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. And on today's episode, I am sitting down with Andrea Treshta, the co-founder of Luminade. If you're not familiar with Luminade, they make solar-powered inflatable lights that pack flat and inflate to create lightweight waterproof lanterns. Uh, safe, sustainable, and portable, the Luminade light provides up to 50 hours of LED light, ideal for emergency situations, recreational use, getting outside, camping, whatever. It's an awesome product, and I'm super excited to have Andrea on here to, uh, to chat about uh, your story. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Let's start back to the beginning. How how did you come up with? So you're the you're the co-founder. Um, mm-hmm. You have a partner in this. How how did you guys come up with uh, the idea for Luminade? So it was way back in 2010, um, January 2010, just after the earthquake in Haiti, um, which I'm sure a lot of people remember because it was such a major disaster and it was in the news and. Anna, my now business partner, and I were classmates in architecture school in New York City. And so we were just designing things and drawing pictures all day. (laughs) And we were also watching all this stuff unfold on the news and then wondering how, as designers, we could contribute something to help the people um, who were victims of a disaster like that. And Haiti is a country where they have a lot of sun, not a lot of electricity. And we knew about portable solar lighting technology and just wondered why it wasn't more widely used in disaster relief aid situations. And so our big idea was to make it pack flat so that it could be distributed in the large numbers required after a disaster like that easily. So, you know, you can like ship it and then distribute it really easily. And then also the fact that it's waterproof and floats and is a cleaner alternative to the things that otherwise would have been used for lighting, like candles or kerosene lanterns. Um, we just thought it was a good idea, and so we've been working on it ever since. That's so cool. So you were going to school for architecture. What is your background? Like, do you have any background in engineering? How did you, how did that, how did you get into this sort of industry, I guess? Actually, my business partner, Anna, is the engineer. So she okay. had, yes. And then... She had studied engineering in her undergrad and then went straight through to architecture school. She kind of did like an engineering, um, I think she studied engineering and art. So architecture, I guess, is a pretty good combination of those two things. And then I had been working in architecture and then went back to grad school to finish my master's. And that's where we met. That's awesome. So where where are you guys from originally? Um, 
Anna's originally from Boston, and I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And now you guys are based in Chicago, correct? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of a longer story, but I'm happy to <laughs> talk through how we ended up here. But no one, there's now one of six of us who works on the team is actually from Chicago. The rest oh, that's of us so funny. Transplants. Yeah. So you guys are all in Chicago? You don't have a remote team? Uh, no, we don't have a remote team, although we work with people who do things like all over the of country course. and the world, but the core team is in Chicago. Oh, that's so cool. So you developed this product while you were in school. What can you sort of help share with like what that's like? Because <laughs> I imagine you were probably crazy busy. Uh, yeah, although that's what one of the really nice things about architecture school is there aren't a lot of boundaries when it comes to when it comes to what you do next if you have ideas and then like seeing those things through. So even the crowd the original crowdfunding campaign that we launched the products on at that time like crowdfunding was just i don't know and it it looked very it was very different than it is today um today it's like it seems like it's a very developed marketplace but right. back then it was like kind of just becoming a thing and we knew about it from our friends who were designers who would turn to things like kickstarter or indiegogo to just fund their next idea or design project and so even stuff like that, I mean, it seems like everybody in architecture school had kind of a side gig. <laughs> so, um, but yes, it was, it was exciting. And I think the fact that how little we knew about starting a business worked out to our benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, so from the first product that you guys developed in 2010 to now in 2017, what was that? development like with the product and prototyping and getting it to what you have now because i know you started off with i think the first version lasted 16 hours and now it's all it's lasting up to 50 hours um on one charge so how, how did how did you guys sort of get through that um entire prototyping process yeah there's been a lot of there's been a lot of we've committed to a lot of continuous improvements um through our lights and just making them higher performance with time and I have to give a lot of credit even just to our customers and the people that use our lights, in, like especially on the disaster relief aid front. So we have a lot of partners and customers who do disaster relief aid all over the world, and they use our lights in very extreme and tough situations. And so we get a lot of really great feedback from them, like, hey, it would be great if it was slightly brighter, if it lasted longer. I'm simplifying it, but... Um, Obviously, we want to do what we can to make products that fit the need and that are useful in situations like disaster relief aid or camping. Um, and so we've committed to making a lot of continuous improvements over time. The original prototypes that we, I mean, we made most of the first versions of this by hand. Um, and it's funny to think back because I'm pretty sure we were buying parts at like Radio Shack, which by <laughs> now I think there are people who probably have never heard of Radio Shack. But the the original prototype, we have some pictures of it. And it's funny because it looks a lot like the version of that light that we sell today. Um, today, it's called a Packlight 16. Didn't really have much of a name back then. But the actual like form factor looks really similar. The performance has changed over time, but it still packs flat in the same way um, and all of that. And then when we were students, we actually filed a couple of patents over to university. So 
Um, we kind of just used their knowledge to file the patents. And we, they were there, I guess, not to get too deep into patents, but there's a design patent and a utility patent. So our patents are utility patents. And that means it kind of just protects the technology or the process or the assembly. So it has nothing to do with, it's independent of shape or size. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done today is make all different shapes and sizes of inflatable solar lights, all kind of using the same core technology. And some of that too was from feedback from customers like, hey, it'd be great if we had one that was more like a lantern and that sat flat on a table right. or just things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. So going through, if, for someone who may know Illuminate, what is something that is unique about either you uh, your product or, or your business that you feel really makes uh, you stand out from the competition? Well, since we've been talking a lot about kind of the story through which we came up with our idea, I guess we have two founders of the business that are also the inventors of the technology, which I'm learning that that's not that common um, with a lot of. I guess, technology-based businesses. It's not that we, I mean, it'd be great to even have, I mean, we're always trying to grow the team, including on the engineering side, but Anna and I are also in the driver's seat when it comes to new product development, as well as everything else that comes to the business. But it's not always the case that the technology being sold or marketed by a business is coming from the people who either own or founded the business. Oh, that's so cool. So when you started the business, I know you and your your partner, you put in your own money to get it off the ground and make those first couple of units to really figure out if this idea was going to work. But I know that you guys um, were on Shark Tank and you got offers from all five of the sharks. Can you share with the audience what that sort of experience was like? I imagine it was very nerve wracking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Shark Tank is cool. I mean, it's a show like unlike any other, I think, um and it's like one part hollywood one part drama but then it's also just kind of real and straightforward so we were fans of the show initially we had been for like a few seasons anna and i and that's why we decided to apply and then to get on the show there's a whole process and like the producers kind of vet you to see if you would make good tv and to be honest i think we were probably on the more boring side of things but (laughs) <laughs> that we had an interesting story, which we've talked about, like inventing this product to students after the Haiti earthquake, just maybe something kind of unique to like versus the typical Shark Tank segment. So that was helpful in getting us on the show. And then once we found out we were going to be on, I mean, it was a very fast moving process, but we actually practiced a lot because <laughs> um, we were just like we practiced for like we tried to practice for every possible question that somebody might throw at us, like practiced negotiating. Um, so we were nervous, but I think all of the preparation really helped. And so on the day of, it kind of just felt like question and answer time. That's so interesting. So did you have a specific shark in mind? Like, did you know, did you think that Mark Cuban would be the one that you would end up with? No, the one thing we didn't do a great job of practicing was like, if we got a lot of offers, (laughs) what we might do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) In hindsight, that would have, I don't know, maybe we, I mean, we were really happy with the outcome of the show, so we never really lost sleep over it. But yes, we were caught a little bit off guard after we got all five offers. 
and then um i think deep like somewhere in the back of my mind back of our mind sorry we knew like if mark kind of threw something out there we would take it really seriously in terms of the offer so that's that's pretty much the thought process behind what we when we decided to go with him that's awesome and for the listener that might not have seen that episode um you guys closed a deal with mark cuban for 200 grand for the for 15% of your company and he's been on board ever since and that was in 2015 correct yes that was in 2015 so what what's it like working with mark cuban <laughs> i have i have to ask <laughs> no it's cool i mean he's he's really like responsive in a way that you wouldn't expect from somebody who's that busy he has a team that works behind him um including people who will help you with things like bookkeeping or business development. So it's kind of just like having some extra help on the team in a big way. And they work with, I I don't know the official number of his Shark Tank investments, but they're also very good at kind of networking opportunities together. So you get the benefit of their expertise and also the entire network of Mark Cuban companies through his other Shark Tank investments. So it's a good group to be in. Oh, without a doubt. So. And Mark Cuban probably being a mentor figure, have you had any others along this journey since you guys got your start? Yes. Lots of different types of mentors in all in all different forms. Even just the people we work with and like a lot of our contracted service providers who have a lot of experience in whatever they're doing. Um we've gotten really lucky with some of the relationships we've had over the last few years. So that's really awesome. Is there anyone in particular that you say really stands out? Let me think. Besides Mark Cuban. We're trying to make more time actually to like network with <laughs> with people who are who can serve as additional mentors or give us advice. Um I mean, honestly, a lot of so much of it boils down to just teamwork too. So we have a very we run a very flat team. So even though, because actually all of us have a similar level of experience in that this is in some ways our first jobs, but I think everybody kind of contributes some great ideas to the whole. So that's one of the things about our culture that I think is kind of unique is that it's very flat. Um, It doesn't matter if you're an intern or the owner, everybody contributes. And then the one exception to the level of experience is our VP of sales actually has around 40 years of experience selling products in retail, including camping and outdoor recreation so we've been very lucky to have someone like that also give us a lot of guidance oh yeah definitely having someone that's such an important aspect of it um what so my next question i know you guys do some work with uh shelter box um so what would you say and a, a huge part of your mission is helping in disaster situations so i i'd love to sort of hear um your philosophy on uh, giving back and sustainability with uh, the products that you guys make. Yeah, so I mean, given what I've mentioned about how we got our start and where the original idea came from, it's always been a big part of our mission and business model to commit to helping people with our lights and products after disasters or in emergencies or even just in places in the world that lack stable access to electricity. And so you mentioned Shelterbox, and they're a really good example of what I would call like a customer slash partner that we work to 
supply them with our lights, but they also in once we supplying them our lights is the easy part. <laughs> I think they really they're an example of the real hard work is in doing the work on the ground after disaster and distributing all this aid. And so we're just kind of an accessory to all that, all of that. And it's incredibly humbling oh, um, to be a part of it. So for someone who might not be aware of what Shelterbox does, could you sort of explain um, what they do? Yeah. So Shelterbox is a nonprofit. They're based in the UK, but they do work all over the world after disasters, like many of the big ones that come to mind. And also some of the ones around the world that don't make the news. Um, because they actually, disasters are, I think, more widespread than we realize. It's just the ones that kind of make the headlines that people remember. But um, they, their key aid item is a box of supplies that includes a tent or cookware, um, solar lights, like luminated lights, just anything you can think of that would be helpful in getting, getting back to normal after in the weeks or months after a disaster. Um, although in many places where they deliver aid, you know, people are relying upon that aid even months to years after major disasters. Um, and so they include, because our lights pack flat, they're kind of convenient to include in their boxes. Right. So you can fit a ton more luminades than like flashlights because they just take up a ton, a lot less space. Yes, and you don't need batteries or anything like that. Um, so they're kind of ready to go out of the box. And how, how long do they last? Well, you mentioned the 50 hours. So we have different different models at different performance specs now. So the one that is most commonly purchased for desert or humanitarian aid is lasts up to 30 hours on the lowest setting. And all of the lights have different settings. There's like a switch, and you can cycle through the switch, and then you can go through the different settings. Um, and, but now we have an even bigger, higher performance lantern that lasts up to 50 hours on the lowest setting. Um, and that's all very recent. And we launched some of the newer stuff back in October. So, um, and then you mentioned, well, we have a, a new crowdfunding campaign that's up right now for a version of a lantern that is 150 lumens, lasts up to 50 hours, and it also has an output where you can charge your phone. Um, yeah, that's, so these are... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's awesome. And uh, we'll include the link to uh, the Kickstarter campaign in the show notes. So if anyone who's listening wants to check it out, um, you can find that on Ready Yeti. Um, and that'll be going till when? When does it end? It ends the first week of March. March All right, perfect, perfect. Um, so you guys are... Um, You've been around for a while, so I, I wanted to ask, um, there's six of you on the team. What is the culture like in the sort of daily um, energy around uh, Luminate? Yeah, well, I touched upon it a little bit. It's interesting. I think culture for small businesses is a funny thing because it's like you feel like you never have time to even really think about it. And as a business owner, it's something that I definitely want to dedicate more time to kind of untangling and, you know, even building and making more plans around what this culture at Luminate should be. But I do think it is very flat um, and all about teamwork. And again, like people are coming, like in a lot of cases, with the exception of our VP of sales, Luminate is everyone's first job, Yeah. Um, which makes it very exciting. But at the same time, 
I think we do actually have to fall back on a lot of teamwork and accomplishing things together because that's it's through collective experience that we have, you know, an advantage, I think, in running our day to day business. Otherwise, it's there's just not a lot to fall back on besides teamwork. Um, But that also makes it like fun and exciting that everybody's every like there's so many things that we confront that are just completely new experiences for everyone. Um, so I can say for sure, no one's bored. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, startup life is definitely not boring. It's stressful, but not boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you say has been now uh, one of the hardest parts of starting Luminate? I think, well, we didn't, when Anna and I started, we didn't really have a big grand plan for the business. Like, in the sense, okay, we're going to move to a certain city, we're going to start a team there, we're going to build around it, hopefully find an office space. It was more that we ended up with this idea for our product and got a lot of early traction with it. And also both believed that it could make a difference and, you know, we could build a business around it. But then we've been kind of backfilling in ever since. Um, which now our business is at the stage where we do, it's similar to the question of culture. It's actually time to start making plans from the point of view of the team around the business and not just the ideas that we're coming out with. So I think it took some time to adjust to the different phases that that entails. Um, So it's not like one specific challenge, but yes, over the last five years, even just like making sure we have a permanent mailing address has <laughs> been yeah. an adventure. Just things like that. Cause you also, like so many small businesses out there, are trying to grow while also being smart with the, you know, the limited resources that you have and making it all work. Um, so that's been just overall a challenge, but not, again, I think part of the, Part of the fact that it hasn't been boring has also made it a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, totally get that. So why did you guys pick Chicago? Yeah, so I actually, after we finished architecture school in 2011, um, I actually ended up coming to business school in Chicago, to the University of Chicago. And through just being a student at the University of Chicago, I was able to find undergrads and other students who are interested in coming to work for Luminate. So once we ended up with our first employee here, that's when Anna and I realized like, okay, this is like, we have a real business on our hands. So we have to, again, build around it, find an office, find a place to work, all of these things. And then we ended up finding even more students to come work with us from the University of Chicago. And now at this time, even have interns from all schools in and around Chicago. So it's been a really good city for us to find very high quality people to come and work with us. That's awesome. So Chicago or New York? <laughs> Sorry? Are you a bigger fan of Chicago or New oh. York? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard not to be biased towards Chicago again for yeah. the things that I was just talking about, that it's just been a really good city for us to grow, grow Luminade. Um, but New York is, every time I go back there, I like have all these like memories of being in New York, being a design student, I mean, there's just so much happening at every minute and hour of the day that it's hard to beat that. But at the same time, maybe that's not necessarily always the most productive situation when you have to just 
get to work. <laughs> so oh, Chicago's course. also been very good in that way. Of course. I'm trying to get myself to leave this city, but I can't I can't seem to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> No, they're both they're both good. Yeah, I haven't spent much time in Chicago. I definitely want to check it out. Um what what would you say is your greatest fear with Luminate and how how do you manage it? I guess I mean I only can really answer that question on a very personal level. So I I mean, I think workaholic is kind of a silly label, but probably if I had to label myself, I'd fall into that category. And so what's fun about Luminate is like again, there's never a dull moment and there's always something to be done. And I even just derive a lot of self-satisfaction out of finishing my work, I guess. And so we want to grow, but we want to grow responsibly and sustain the business with really good ideas that bring something new to the marketplace um, and deliver value to end customers. And so I think that's where the small business management really kicks in. Um, Like, are we being responsible with our money and our funding and all of these things? And so I would never want to put us out of business outright. But even though I think that's a fear that a lot of small business owners have, it's not one that happens overnight, no matter what. Um, But yeah, basically, I would never want to put myself out of a job. (laughs) So totally get that. And I can empathize completely. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that you've made with Luminate? Let me think, because there are many. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know that. There are big ones. There are small ones. They happen all the time, every day. Um, Well, we have, I mean, from a designer point of view, there are different, if you go to our website, luminate.com, there's a lot of different, like you mentioned, like lights now that have different performance parameters, but there's the original version version of the light that we designed that is this bag-shaped version, or we just call it a bag. It's not really a bag, but it's like you blow it up and it looks like a bag, but the covering around it is basically the diffuser of the light, like any lampshade or something to that effect. And when we originally designed it, it was just a super simple shape. Um, there was no waste in the materials. It did what it needed to do, and even to this day does what it needs to do in disaster relief aid and humanitarian aid. But we all, we had this we also had this dream, of course, of selling our lights for camping or in retail stores and getting big retail customers. And we would get this feedback that no one knows what this is because <laughs> the shape is so strange. Right. Um and eventually we came up with this idea to have these like cube shaped lights that twist flat and pack flat. But when you blow them up, they're like lanterns and they sit flat on the table and they have this adjustable handle that you can hang on like a center hanging hook in a tent or on a branch. And so far, those have been very popular with certain segments of our customers. But I realized that like we should have been quicker to act on that feedback where people were telling us like the shape is really strange. But as designers, we felt like, no, this other shape is the most simple, beautiful, straightforward thing. And people just don't know what they're missing out on, on this thing that packs flat. (laughs) But then you realize like, well, you kind of just have to embrace the feedback and come up with an even better idea. That's such great advice. So what has the growth been like since you started in 2010 to where you are now? It's been very fast moving, especially since 
Shark Tank, but even the year before Shark Tank, in addition to things like Shark Tank, we can tie a lot of growth to, unfortunately, to disasters that have happened. So 2013 was this the major typhoon that happened in the Philippines. Right. And that was the year that all of a sudden our business plan of supplying our lights to multinational NGOs in the case of major disasters kind of came to being. So all of a sudden we were like the supers and company and supplying lights in large numbers to these NGOs like Shelterbox. And I think that was also kind of a crazy time. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So what, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business um, in general, in the outdoor world or in the humanitarian, like in a social um, cause? Yeah, well, actually, since you mentioned, since you asked the question that way, there's actually probably quite a bit of overlap. Like if you have a problem or if you have a product that solves a problem for a camper yeah. or a person who's in the outdoors, there's probably some use for it after a disaster or in places, for example, that lack a lot of the infrastructure that we have otherwise in other parts of the world. So keep that in mind in case there's anything you can ever do to even like form cool partnerships or projects that can help people in places where they need um, basic access to stuff like lighting or, you know, other things that people use when they're off the grid. Um, And then in terms of small business in general, uh, I guess I always feel very cliche saying this because I, this is typically my answer to this question, but I think it's really true and it'll be true for me all week. It's just put one foot in front of the other <laughs> and like take things one at a time. So I think that's really, you have to have a plan. And like I, I said, even just with us kind of working backwards to build a team around the business that we all of a sudden realized we had. In hindsight, if we'd maybe thought a little bit more in advance about those things, that certain things would have turned out to be easier than they um, came to us originally. But in addition to that, like big picture plan, I also think it's important to just take things one at a time. I couldn't agree more. That's that's great advice. So uh, I wanted to ask a question about uh, manufacturing. Uh, do you guys make the um the lights in, in the U.S.? Like, how did you develop that manufacturing process, I guess, to um, especially cater towards the growth that you guys have had over the last couple of years? So we make our products in Asia, so we don't manufacture them in the U.S. as of now, although that's always something that is on the list to at least look into. Um, and the primary reason for that is even a lot of the components that go into our lights, they just aren't available in a lot of different places. So if you had to move them from one country to the next just to assemble and manufacture, it would add a certain level of cost to the product even before you got to the assembly and labor. Right. Um, also due to just the nature of global business with things like taxes and import duties uh, and things like that. And um our lights are very it's not that they're simple but they are applied technology and i think there's certain countries in the world that specialize in that type of manufacturing in the u.s to be honest a lot of the manufacturers are beyond that they're like inventing new types of batteries and leds so they're kind of they're kind of developing the stuff that then will go into our lights if that makes sense right no it does make sense Um, yeah 
Yeah, or like batteries, or I was just reading about this, whatever, the Tesla, the lithium-ion battery manufacturing facility in Nevada. And it's like, that is the type of stuff that will change even just everything we do for the next three to five years. Um, And so that's, and then, I mean, in terms of how we got started or how we kind of managed that process, these days, my business partner, Anna, actually makes a lot of trips overseas. So <laughs> she does a lot of the hard work on that front. <laughs> so that, that leads me into my, my next question of how do you how do you guys split up your roles as uh, co-founders? Um, did you sort of take on aspects that you felt that you were um, stronger at and heard the same? Or how, how did you guys sort of split that up? Yeah, so she, as we spoke about, she has kind of the background in engineering, and we both are designers, so in terms of the just design aspects of our products, we collaborate on that front, and then she manages all of the manufacturing and the product development, and even the new product development, and that's one of the things we've learned through running this business is just, it's great to sell what we have today, but it's also just continually thinking about what's next. Um, which is one of those challenges that, again, is a lot of fun as inventors. And then all of the boring things I do. (laughs) (laughs) Finances, paying the bills, that kind of stuff, and then managing the team. So That's awesome. So where where do you guys see uh, Luminate going in the next year, five years, ten years? Well, the next year, I think, we just came out with this phone, this lantern that also charges phones called the Packlight Max phone charger. Um, and that one is really exciting for us because so many of our customers, whether it was like in the outdoor camping space or even on the humanitarian aid side, were like, we love your lights, but they would, you know, what would be really awesome is if they could also charge our phones with the solar panel. And so it feels like we finally have developed something that will give our customers something additional that we've heard that would be useful. And so we have a lot of work, I think, just even in distributing that product wherever it's needed. And then that, I think, is kind of what we're hoping to do even over the next three to five years is our we want to really make sure that we're developing the most innovative and useful products in the solar lighting and now charging power space for our customers. That's really awesome. So what's it like running a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign? Um, especially with the first one, I'd love to hear sort of um, how you guys went about tackling um, the marketing aspect and um, building a plan to hit your goal. Yeah, so I think in both cases, well, in the original case, it was a little bit different because we had no our customer number one came by way of that crowdfunding campaign back in 2011. So there it was, I mean, there was no email list other than, you know, emailing our moms and dads. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was, that one was really exciting because truly every single customer required that came with campaign was completely organic. And we were really lucky in that our kind of press release about the product got picked up by a lot of blogs, even like just there may have been a few outdoor adventure blogs, but even um, eco design blogs and things about like sustainable living or gadgets and electronics. And yeah, it was like all of a sudden we had a really novel crowdfunding campaign in our, on our hands that was being written up in all these different media outlets. And so 
that really gave the campaign a lot of momentum that we did not expect. I guess now, well, I guess it's almost six years later, or, or yeah, and with this latest campaign, you know, we're post Shark Tank. We have a list of our customers that we can even email and say things like, hey, coming soon, Kickstarter campaign. So a lot of the work that went into this current campaign was even just informing our existing customers of the new developments. So, and it's very, I think, like, I couldn't be more proud of the way that we've built that base of people and then stayed in touch with them. And so now when we have this new product, it's very exciting. And all of our customers seem really excited for us. And so it's just a win-win. That's great. And you've got a few more weeks left in that in the uh, Kickstarter. And you guys, you guys crushed your funding goal so quickly, um, which is awesome um, in itself. And I, I know with speaking with a lot of founders, uh, you want to try and do as much as you can in the first couple of days to try and get that exposure early. And I think you guys did such a great job of doing that. Um, what would you say is the best part about running Luminade? I think it's a similar theme to what I've been mentioning off off and on through some of the answers to the questions. It's just every day there's something new that you haven't confronted before in running a business. And that's very exciting. So I don't, because also as like a manager of the team, it's, there's something new to conquer as a team every day. And so it's really satisfying to see things like the Kickstarter campaign come to life or even just the new product launch. Um, where like six months ago, we were like, you know what would be great is if we finally did this phone charger idea. And then six months later, it's real. And it's a real product. And it's something we'll be shipping to customers very soon. And so those, like just even crossing that stuff off the list is incredibly satisfying. Oh, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> anytime. Right. Anytime I get to cross something off a list, I get it's overly excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to both go on the podcast about... <laughs> Uh, making lists and crossing <laughs> yeah it's weird it, my partners make fun of me for it all the time they're like you just you and your lists <laughs> you're like you need to give it a break i'm like well keeps me organized <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um uh andrea i want to thank you for taking the time to uh come on this podcast and uh and share your story it was really cool to hear how you guys got your start and uh for the listener that may not be aware we're actually going to be giving away some product from Luminade and Gobi Gear, which is going on right now. If uh, if you want to uh, enter for a chance to win, definitely head over to readyeddy.com to do that. And um, Andrea, if uh, people want to follow along with what you guys are doing and stay up to date, what's the best way for them to uh, to do that? The best way is actually probably to go sign up for our mailing list on luminade.com because that way everyone's up to date on the stuff that we're launching on our website or even on other channels like Kickstarter, or we've got some things going on at Amazon exclusives. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things going on and we try our best to keep everyone informed through, through our mailing list. And then there's just promos, discounts, giveaways, which is exciting. I might enter myself because <laughs> the way the Kickstarter campaign is going, I'm like nervous. I won't be able to get my own pack by max phone charger. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that our, joining our mailing list is the best way to keep up to date. Perfect. Well, Andrea, I want to thank you for taking the time. It was a blast talking and getting to know you. This ends the, this episode of the Ready A Podcast. Thanks so much. Oh, likewise. Thank you.
Hey, Ready Eddie podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie podcast. I'll catch you next week.